seven deadly sins. I'm at number five today, which is pride, which has been called the mother of all sins, the queen of all sins. C.S. Lewis called it the greatest sin. Let me read uh, my text this morning, which is 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I don't know about you, but I know I need grace. So I need to be humble. I know I won't receive it if I'm proud. I think there can be good pride. Let me try to give you some examples like your child's accomplishments, satisfaction at a job well done. I think you can be fond of your alma mater. I think that's okay. I think there's a fine line, though, that it's very easy to slip into bad pride like arrogance and vanity and narcissism and a superior attitude, a boaster. Someone said pride is a disease that makes everyone else sick except the one who has it. Conductor Leonard Bernstein was asked the hardest instrument to play, and he said second fiddle. John Lennon once remarked that we, the Beatles, are now more popular than Jesus. And Muhammad Ali, of course, said, I'm the greatest. And there's this from Keith Richard of the Rolling Stones. The devil doesn't bother me. It's God who ticks me off. Doesn't he know who we are? We're the Rolling Stones. That reminds me of a flight that was canceled. And there was a mad rush to the desk to reschedule the flight. People were pushing and shoving. And one man in particular was very loud and boisterous, demanding to be put on the next flight. And he kept saying, do you know who I am? And so the worker got on the microphone and said, we have a passenger here that doesn't know who he is. If you can identify him, please come forward. Some of you will remember the Carly Simon song, You're So Vain. You probably think the song is about you. She had been dating Warren Beatty before that. He called her to say, did you write that song about me? We have lots of examples in the Bible we could cite. Lucifer, the most exalted angel of heaven, the shining one whose beauty went to his head. He thought he should be in God's place. It says of him in Isaiah 14. Your pomp is brought down to shield the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. We have the people who built the Tower of Babel. It says of them in Genesis 11, 4, 
Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Moses told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And here is how the Pharaoh responded. The Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. We have the example of Nebuchadnezzar, who built a giant statue to himself in his honor that people would bow and worship it and thus him. In Daniel 4.30, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Shortly after that... He went insane and ate grass like a cow. When he came to his sanity again, he said this in Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. We have the example in the Bible of Herod, who was given a speech before the masses and listened to what the group said. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. The next verse says that an angel of the Lord struck him dead. And Peter boasted that if everyone fell away, he would never fall away from following Jesus Christ. That very night, he denied even knowing who he was. So what is pride? Thomas Aquinas says it's the inordinate desire to excel. I like this definition. Amnesia of the soul. The proud person forgets God and lives as though God doesn't exist and they don't need God. It's self-sufficiency. It's comparing yourself to others and thinking you're better, much better. Like the Pharisee who went with the publican into the temple. And it says that the Pharisee began to pray to himself. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like this tax collector over here. Pride is self-importance. Jonathan Edwards defined it as magnifying my faults or magnifying the faults of others and diminishing my own. We're all guilty. Let me ask you a few questions this morning to ponder. Do you enjoy being the center of attention? Do you think you deserve more? Do you find it difficult to admit you're wrong? These apply to me. I'm saying you, but I mean myself too. Can you pass a mirror without looking? Do you post pictures on social media to hear from others of how great you look? Do you feel little need to pray? You don't like to be corrected or challenged. Your feelings are easily hurt. You're impatient with others' mistakes. Seldom ask for help because you know you could do it better. Have I hit on any there? Then you're dealing with pride. The Bible says that pride causes all kinds of problems in our life. Let me give you three. It keeps me from growing is the first. 
If I think I've arrived, then I don't need to grow any more spiritually. I, I don't see any lack in myself. Proverbs twenty six twelve. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than from him for him. It keeps me from seeing my sin and repenting. Proverbs ten seventeen. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Pride keeps me from asking for help. I refuse to see the counselor. I'd rather look smart than be smart. The smart person is humble and teachable. A second problem is it poisons my relationships. It poisons my relationships. Pride causes conflict and disharmony. The proud are demanding, unsympathetic, selfish. I did it my way, sang Frank Sinatra. My way is the right way. Have you ever seen proud people deal with servers in a restaurant? The truth of the matter is no one wants to be around them. Pride ruins relationships. Proverbs 13.10 By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. In Matthew 7.5, Jesus said, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When I refuse to see my own part of the problem, which I should own, I'm always going to struggle in my relationships. Marriages will struggle. They would be helped greatly if one or both partners would humble themselves and admit their part of the problem. The father yells at his son, leave and don't come back. Now, he knows he overreacted. But he's too proud to swallow his pride and apologize and tell his son to come back. So the two stay estranged for years. A third problem. It causes undue stress. We're always worried how we appear to others when we're proud. How do I look? Am I putting on weight? Do I have any new wrinkles? And parents push their children academically and athletically. The child just can't have fun. Instead of doing his best, he has to be the best. And it's all for the parent's ego. Parents are living their lives through their children. And sports can absolutely ruin that parent-child relationship. Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Worrying all the time about your image can make you depressed. Now, Matthew 5, 5 says, happy are the humble. Humility is a mark of emotional health and pride a mark of emotional sickness. Emotionally healthy people aren't concerned about ego or status. So how can I be humble and happy? Let me give you five things. First, Admit your weakness honestly. Admit your weakness honestly. Proverbs 28:13 in the Living Bible reads, "A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance." 
If I don't admit and confess my mistakes, I won't grow. I will be stuck as an emotional toddler forever. We pray, Lord, forgive me if I've sinned. If we've sinned. Confess it as the Holy Spirit points it out to you. Humility begins with being honest about our sins and weaknesses. I like the story of revivalist evangelist of the first great awakening, George Whitfield. He used to travel with friend John Wesley and preach together until theological differences separated them. One of Whitfield's followers asked him if he thought he'd see Wesley in heaven. And he said, no. He'll be so close to the throne of God and I'll be so far away. I don't think I'll see him. I love that. Wesley preached Whitfield's funeral. Second, evaluate your strengths realistically. Evaluate your strengths realistically. Listen to Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When I'm proud, I can't properly evaluate myself. Humility is based on truth and reality. Pride is not based on reality. Humility isn't putting yourself down as though you're worthless. That's not spiritually healthy either. The truth is you have strengths and gifts and abilities and talents and spiritual gifts. And God gave them to you, not in every area, but in some areas. And you've worked hard to develop them. That's great. So sanely evaluate yourself. God made us so we can't pat ourselves on the back or kick ourselves in the pants. This little girl ordered a big, giant helping of ice cream and an adult was seeing that and said, do you think you can really eat all that? And she said, I'm much bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. The proud pretend to be big. They act like someone they're not. Galatians 6, 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Take pride in God and the gifts he's given to you. Just don't compare them with other people. When we compare with others, we'll always find someone who does something worse than us, which makes us proud. And we'll always find someone who does something better than us, which makes us discouraged. It's bad either way. Just don't compare. You're unique. God made you to be you. No one else is like you. So be who God made you to be in the gifts he's given to you. So admit your weaknesses honestly. Be real and transparent in the proper settings. Evaluate yourself realistically. You're good at some things, not everything. Thirdly, Enjoy your successes gratefully. Enjoy your successes gratefully. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 in the Living Bible reads, What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why do you act as though you're so great, as though you have accomplished something on your own? Everything you have is a gift from God. 
I built this house with my two hands. Well, who gave you your two hands? I thought up that idea. Well, who gave you your mind? I like this. The beaver and the rabbit were looking at Hoover Dam. And the beaver said, I didn't technically build it, but it was my idea. So work hard with the gifts God has given you. And remember, all success is from God. God gives you your health. He gives you your breath. He gives you your energy. And he opens the doors for you. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So thank him. It's important to be grateful and have a grateful heart. God opposes the proud, boastful man, but he blesses the humble person. Just worry about God's honor, and he'll make sure you get the honor due you. Keep exalting God, and he will exalt you in due time. If you think, I really don't need God, you desperately do. We pastors have a tendency when we're talking to other pastors, the conversation always wants to get around to how big is your congregation? And that's our downfall because it either makes us proud or disappointed and discouraged. So don't compare. We're all on the same team. I like to think of Jesus as the quarterback and all the Christians as the linemen. We just block for Jesus so he gets all the glory. Remember what happens to the whale. As soon as he gets on top and blows, that's when he gets harpooned. So be grateful. Fourthly, serve others unselfishly. Serve others unselfishly. A lot has been written lately about the rise of depression in America. And it's becoming an endemic the last 30 years or so. From three to eight times, there's higher rates of depression than two generations ago. What gives? Now, I'm not discounting physiological issues here, but it's traced. We could trace it to the historical and cultural occurrences that have exalted the individual. The more and more people focus on themselves, the more depressed they become. It's all about me. All the selfies. Instagram, the popularity of Instagram and TikTok. I mean, some of that stuff, these videos, is just people dancing around in a silly manner and they get hundreds of thousands of views. What do they think about themselves? If you're wrapped up in yourself, you're not properly dressed. Living for me makes me sad. But I think people are beginning to see that the Bible has it right. It's countercultural. The Bible says, focus on others. Be a servant. I remember one time I was at a mall, and it was before all the stores opened. They opened the front doors where you can get in and do laps. And so all us old people were in there walking around. And there was a guy older than me, believe it or not, that was really having a hard time walking. And then I could see his shoe came untied. And right at that moment, someone from Macy's was opening up the, the store gate and he looked and saw this older fella couldn't quite bend down and tie his shoe. So the Macy manager came over and got on his hands and knees and tied his shoe while I walked by. Never even crossed my mind to bend down and tie his shoe. I, I loved that servanthood by that manager. Focus on others. Forget about yourself. 
it'll feel good when you focus on others. That gives you real joy. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. In that order. That's how you have joy. Jesus is our greatest example. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why Jesus is the best example of servanthood is because of who he is. He is God. Yet he focused on sinful us and gave his life for each one of us. Humility isn't really thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Jesus thought about himself less and thought about you and me more and poured his life out as a ransom for many. So who can you serve today? The fifth point I'd like to make about humility is humble yourself voluntarily. Humble yourself voluntarily. That's what it says in James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So humility is and can be a choice Something you do, something that you take action or God can humble you. I can learn to speak and act and think in more humble ways. And I say, I think I'm catching myself more quickly than I used to when a proud thought or action or word comes out of my mouth. But I still am prone to think this is really about me when it's really about God. The Bible says the way up is down, and the way down is to lift yourself up. There are consequences for pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we've already seen the biblical examples of that. The Bible says God hates pride. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty Eyes is the first one. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Haughty eyes, that proud look. You know what? God can wipe that proud look right off your face. Or you can wipe it off your face. Pride destroys. It really is the worst sin. It got Satan kicked out of heaven. It got Adam kicked out of the garden. Saul lost his kingdom. David lost fellowship with God temporarily. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. And it will destroy us too. 
if we let it take place in our hearts. Let me close with one last thought. We are saved only by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't earn your salvation, and that's humbling. We want to think it's because I believed. It's because I'm a good person. No. All we do is accept it. Accept the fact that you've been accepted. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to try. You don't have to compare yourself. You don't have to exalt yourself. You don't have to climb the mountaintop to reach God. Just say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will. Christ died for you. He loves you. So as we take a moment to pray, you need to confess this sin and repent of it. Let me give you an opportunity in a moment to do that. A moment of silence here, and then I'm going to ask something else. Lord, it's so easy to look at the outward sins of ourselves and others and miss these inward sins that are so deadly. The ancients were right. They knew what was a deadly sin that spawned other sins. Certainly this one is. So, Lord, if you're speaking to us this morning, you're putting your finger on something in our lives. We want to be quick to confess it, repent of it, forsake it. And receive your forgiveness and pray to you humbly, Lord, humble me under your mighty hand that you may exalt me in due time in your plan and your purpose. And Lord, I would pray that if there's someone here that has not humbled himself or herself in asking Jesus Christ to come in and forgive their sins, that they might be born again and have a personal relationship with you. If you just quickly slip up your hand, if you need to do that this morning, if you need to, need to make that commitment of your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. If anyone does, I want to give you that opportunity. Father, we give you praise and glory and honor where it is most deserved today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your kindness and your love toward us who were sinners. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand, please.